Hello and welcome, friends, family, and of course, enemies alike, to episode 162 of Reading Cadence. I am your host, the displaced Wisconsinite, Phil Olson. This week begins the conclusion of the anthology series entitled The Casebook of Sherlock Holmes, with this final case, The Adventure of Shuscombe Old Place. There are madmen, haunted crypts, charred bones, and a personal connection to Dr. Watson, all enclosed within this case. So let us begin reading. The Adventure of Shuscombe Old Place, Part 1, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes had been bending for a long time over a low-power microscope. Now he straightened himself up and looked round at me in triumph. It is glue, Watson, said he. Unquestionably, it is glue. Have a look at these scattered objects in the field. I stooped to the eyepiece and focused for my vision. Those hairs are threads from a tweed coat. The irregular grey masses are dust. There are epithelial scales on the left. Those brown blobs in the center are undoubtedly glue. <laughs> well, I said, laughing, I'm prepared to take your word for it. Does anything depend upon it? It is a very fine demonstration, he answered. In the St. Pancras case, you may remember that a cap was found beside the dead policeman. The accused man denies that it is his. But he is a picture frame maker who habitually handles glue. Is it uh, one of your cases? No. My friend, Merivale of the Yard, asked me to look into the case. Since I ran down that corner by the zinc and copper filings in the seam of his cuff, they've begun to realize the importance of the microscope. He looked impatiently at his watch. I had a new client calling. But he is overdue. By the way, Watson, do you know something of racing? I ought to. I pay for it with about half my wound pension. Then I'll make you my handy guide to the turf. What about Sir Robert Norburton? Does the name recall anything? Well, I, I should say so. He lives at Shuscombe Old Place, and I know it well. For my summer quarters were down there once. Norberton nearly came within your province once. How was that? It was when he horsewhipped Sam Brewer, the well-known Curzon Street moneylender, on Newmarket Heath. He nearly killed the man. Ah, he sounds interesting. Does he often indulge in that way? Well, he has the name of being a dangerous man. He is about the most daredevil rider in England, second in the Grand National a few years back. He is one of those men who have overshot their true generation. He should have been a buck in the days of the Regency, a boxer, an athlete, a plunger on the turf, a lover of fair ladies, and by all account, so far down Queer Street that he may never find his way back again. Capital, Watson. A thumbnail sketch. 
I seem to know the man. Now, can you give me some idea of Shuscombe Old Place? Only that it is in the center of Shuscombe Park, and that the famous Shuscombe Stud and Training Quarters are to be found there. And the head trainer, said Holmes, is John Mason. You need not look surprised at my knowledge, Watson, for this is a letter from him, which I am unfolding. But let us have some more about Shuscombe. I seem to have struck a rich vein. Well, there are the Shuscombe Spaniels, said I. You hear of them at every dog show. The most exclusive breed in England. They are the special pride of the lady of Shuscombe Old Place. Sir Robert Norberton's wife, I presume. Sir Robert has never married. Just as well, I think, considering his prospects. He lives with his widowed sister, Lady Beatrice Falder. You mean that she lives with him? No, no, no. Uh, the place belonged to her late husband, Sir James. Norberton has no claim on it at all. It is only a life interest, and reverts to her husband's brother. Meantime... She draws the rent every year. And Brother Robert, I suppose, spends the said rents. That's about the size of it. He is a devil of a fellow, and must lead her a most uneasy life. Yet, I have heard that she is devoted to him. But what is amiss at Shuscombe? Ah, that is just what I want to know. And here, I expect, is the man who can tell us. The door had opened, and the page had shown in a tall, clean-shaven man with the firm, austere expression which is only seen upon those who have to control horses or boys. Mr. John Mason had many of both under his sway, and he looked equal to the task. He bowed with cold self-possession and seated himself upon the chair to which Holmes had waved him. You had my note, Mr. Holmes? Yes, but it explained nothing. It was too delicate a thing for me to put the details on paper, and too complicated. It was only face to face I could do it. Well, we are at your disposal. First of all, Mr. Holmes, I think that my employer, Sir Robert, has gone mad. Holmes raised his eyebrows. This is Baker Street, not Harley Street, said he. But why do you say so? Well, sir, when a man does one queer thing, or two queer things, there may be meaning to it. But when everything he does is queer, then you begin to wonder. I believe Shuscombe Prince and the Derby have turned his brain. That is a cult you are running. The best in England, Mr. Holmes. I should know if anyone does. Now I'll be plain with you, for I know you are a gentleman of honour, and that it won't go beyond the room. Sir Robert has got to win this derby. He's up to the neck, and it's his last chance. Everything he could raise or borrow is on a horse, and at fine odds too. You can get forties now but it was near the hundreds when he began to back them. But how is that, 
if the horse is so good. The public don't know how good he is. Sir Robert has been too clever for the touts. He has the prince's half-brother out for spins. You can't tell them apart, but there are two lengths in a furlong between them when it comes to a gallop. He thinks of nothing but the horse in the race. His whole life is on it. He's holding off the Jews till then. If the prince fails him, he is done. It seems a rather desperate gamble, but where does the madness come in? Well, first of all, you have only to look at him. I don't believe he sleeps at night. He's down at the stables at all hours. His eyes are wild. It has been all too much for his nerves. Then there is his conduct to Lady Beatrice. Ah, what is that? They've always been the best of friends. They had the same tastes, the two of them. And she loved the horses as much as he did. Every day at the same hour she would drive down to see them. And above all, she loved the prince. He would prick up his ears when he heard the wheels on the gravel. And he would trot out each morning to the carriage to get his lump of sugar. But that's all over now. Why? Well, she seems to have lost all interest in the horses. For a week now, she has driven past the stables with never so much as good morning. You think there has been a quarrel? And a bitter, savage, spiteful quarrel at that. Why else would he give away her pet spaniel that she loved as if he were her child? He gave it a few days ago to old Barnes, who keeps the green dragon three miles off at Crendle. That certainly did seem strange. Of course, with her weak heart and dropsy, one couldn't expect that she could get about with him, but he spent two hours every evening in her room. He might well do what he could, for she has been a rare good friend to him. But that's all over too. He never goes near her she takes it to heart. She is brooding and sulky and drinking, Mr. Holmes. Drinking like a fish. Did she drink before this estrangement? Well, she took her glass, but now it is often a whole bottle of an evening. So Stevens, the butler, told me. It's all changed, Mr. Holmes, and there's something damned rotten about it. But then again... What is Master doing down at the old church crypt at night? And who is the man that meets him there? Holmes rubbed his hands. Go on, Mr. Mason. You get more and more interesting. It was the butler who saw him go. Twelve o'clock at night and raining hard. So next night, I was up at the house. And sure enough, Master was off again. Stephen's eye went after him, but it was jumpy work, for it would have been a bad job if he had seen us. He's a terrible man with his fists if he gets started, and no respecter of persons. So we were shy of getting too near. But we marked him down all right. It was the haunted crypt that he was making for, and there was a man waiting for him there. 
What is this haunted crypt? Well, sir, there is an old ruined chapel in the park. It's so old that nobody could fix its date. And under it, there's a crypt which has a bad name among us. It's a dark, damp, lonely place by day. But there are few in that country that would have had the nerve to go near it at night. But Master's not afraid. He never feared anything in his life. But what is he doing down there in the night time? Wait a bit, said Holmes. You say there is another man there. It must be one of your own stablemen or someone from the house. Surely you have only to spot who it is and question him. It's no one I know. How can you say that? Because I have seen him, Mr. Holmes. It was on that second night. Sir Robert turned and passed us, me and Stephens, quaking in the bushes like two bunny rabbits, for there was a bit of moon that night. But we could hear the other moving about behind. We were not afraid of him. So we up when Sir Robert was gone, and pretended we were just having a walk like in the moonlight. And so we came right on him, as casual and innocent as you please. Hello, mate. Who may you be? Says I. I guess he had not heard us coming. So he looked over his shoulders with a face as if he had seen the devil coming out of hell. He let out a yell, and away he went as hard as he could lick it in the darkness. He could run. I'll give him that. In a minute, he was out of sight in hearing, and who he was, or what he was, we never found. But you saw him clearly in the moonlight? Yes, I would swear it to his yellow face. A mean dog, I should say. What could he have in common with Sir Robert? Holmes sat for some time, lost in thought. Who keeps Lady Beatrice Falder company? He asked at last. There's your maid, Carrie Evans. She has been with her this five years. And is, no doubt, it devoted. Mr. Mason shuffled uncomfortably. She's devoted enough, he answered at last. But I won't say to whom. Ah said Holmes. I can't tell tales out of school. I quite understand, Mr. Mason. Of course, the situation is clear enough. From Dr. Watson's description of Sir Robert, I can realize that no woman is safe from him. Don't you think the quarrel between brother and sister may lie there? Well, the scandal has been pretty clear for a long time. But she may have not seen it before. Let us suppose that she has suddenly found it out. She wants to get rid of the woman. Her brother will not permit it. The invalid, with a weak heart and inability to get about, has no means of enforcing her will. The hated maid is still tied to her. The lady refuses to speak, sulks, takes to drink. Sir Robert, in his anger, takes her pet spaniel away from her. Does not all this hang together? Well, it might do, so far as it goes. Exactly. As far as it goes. 
How would all that bear upon the visits by the knight to the old crypt? We can't fit that into our plot. No, sir. And there is some more that I can't fit in. Why should Sir Robert want to dig up a dead body? Holmes sat up abruptly. We only found it out yesterday, after I'd written to you. Yesterday, Sir Robert had gone to London, so Stevens and I went down to the crypt. It was all in order, sir, except that in one corner was a bit of a human body. You informed the police, I suppose? Our visitor smiled grimly. Well, sir, I think it would hardly interest them. It was just the head and a few bones of a mummy. It may have been a thousand years old, but it wasn't there before. That old swear, and so will Stevens. It had been stowed away in a corner and covered over with a board, but that corner has always been empty before. What did you do with it? Well, we just left it there. That was wise. You say Sir Robert was away yesterday. Has he returned? We expect him back today. When did Sir Robert give away his sister's dog? It was just a week ago today. The creature was howling outside the old warehouse, and Sir Robert was in one of his tantrums that morning. He caught it up, and I thought he would have killed it. Then he gave it to Sandy Bain, the jockey, and told him to take the dog to old barns at the Green Dragon, for he never wished to see it again. Holmes sat for some time in silent thought. He had lit the oldest and foulest of his pipes. I'm not clear yet what you want me to do in the matter, Mr. Mason, said he at last. Can't you make it more definite? Perhaps this will make it more definite, Mr. Holmes, said our visitor. He took a paper from his pocket, and unwrapping it carefully, he exposed a charred fragment of bone. Holmes examined it with interest. Where did you get it? There's a central heating furnace in the cellar under Lady Beatrice's room. It's been off for some time, but Sir Robert complained of cold and had it on again. Harvey runs it. He's one of my lads. This very morning, he came to me with this which he found raking out to cinders. He didn't like the look of it. Nor do I, said Holmes. What do you make of it, Watson? It was burned to a black cinder, but there could be no question as to its anatomical significance. It's the upper condyle of a human femur, said I. Exactly. Holmes had become very serious. When does this lad tend to the furnace? He makes it up every evening and then leaves it. Then anyone could visit it during the night. Yes, sir. Can you enter it from the outside? There is one door from outside. There's another which leads up by a stair to the passage in which Lady Beatrice's room is situated. These are deep waters, Mr. Mason. Deep 
and rather dirty. You say that Sir Robert was not at home last night? No, sir. Then whoever was burning bones, it was not he. That's true, sir. What is the name of that inn you spoke of? The Green Dragon. Is there good fishing in that part of Berkshire? The honest trainer showed very clearly upon his face that he was convinced that yet another lunatic had come into his harassed life. Well, sir, I've heard there are trout in the mill stream and pike in the whole lake. That's good enough. Watson and I are famous fishermen, are we not, Watson? You may address us in future at the Green Dragon. We should reach it tonight. I need not say that we don't want to see you, Mr. Mason, but a note will reach us, and no doubt I could find you if I watch you. When we have gone a little farther into the matter, I will let you have a considered opinion. End of The Adventure of Shuscombe Old Place Part 2 By Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Okay, so plot. Pretty straightforward, am I right? Do I really have to go in any further depth on it? Yes? Yeah, of course I do, because this plot is one of the most intricately woven plots that we've ever encountered in a Sherlock Holmes case. I was getting lost, and I've read it and listened to it during editing phases, and I'm still confused. So I'm just going to, as an external processor, lay out the facts and maybe hash out something here that we may have missed. Okay. We got Shuscombe Old Place, right? It is an estate that breeds not only racehorses, but also Cocker Spaniels, or Spaniels. I don't know if Cocker Spaniel and Spaniel is a synonym of each other or what, but breeds those things. Two people live at the Shuscombe Old Place estate. Sir Robert Norburton and his widowed sister, Lady Beatrice Falder. Falder owned it with her late husband. He willed it to his brother. His brother apparently is not of age because Lady Falder is responsible for maintaining the property at the present moment in time, and she receives the rent that is accrued uh, with the property. Her brother does not have any stake ownership in Old Shuscombe Place, but he scalps all of the rent from her. She is sickly, she has dropsy and a heart condition, so she can't really do anything to resist him. He has, Sir Robert, has a massive gambling problem with racehorses, go figure. And he's looking to regain and pay off all of his debts through a racehorse called the Shuscombe Prince. And he's pulling the wool over everybody's eyes, for he has a twin horse that is not nearly as fast as the real prince that he takes out to Tuesday and Wednesday practices. The people who appraise the horse's value for a race go out and see this twin horse that is not the prince and say, yeah, that thing is probably not going to win this race, which thereby increases the payout of the horse if it does win. And so 
he's running this whole scam because the real prince is actually very, very fast. And so he's like, nah, okay. So he's got that whole side business going on. That Mason, the guy who's employing the services of Watson and Sherlock, for some reason thinks is relevant to this case. I don't know. I don't see the relevance thus far. But Mason, speaking of, could be like walking clickbait. Because he reveals that aspect of the case. Sherlock's like, okay, tell me more. And he's like, well, maybe you'd be interested in knowing that Sir Robert visits a haunted crypt each night. And Sherlock's like, okay, yeah, tell me more about that. And he's like, well, he's visited by another man. You know, he's like, okay, who's the man? Is it like a stable owner or something like that? And Mason's like, I don't know. But the butler and I investigated and we found a 1,000-year-old mummy just sitting in the corner of this crypt. It wasn't there before. All that remained of it was its head and a few of its bones. And he's like, okay, cool. Thanks for that. Don't know why that's relevant to the story. He's like, so why did you really call us here? Mason's like, well... Did you know that we found charred bones in the furnace underneath Lady Falder's bedroom? And Sherlock's like, okay, I'm more interested. And he's like, here it is. And he pulls out a femoral condyle, which Watson then delineates as human. So we know it's not part of a horse. It's part of a human anatomical structure. For those uneducated, a femoral condyle is the part of the femur that connects into the kneecap bone. I don't, I don't know. That contributes to the bending of the leg, so mobility related. I, this is an incredibly charred human bone, first of all. Second of all, he just talked to us about these guys grave robbing a haunted crypt. Okay, so it could have come from that, and they're just exhuming a body and burning the bones for some reason. No clue why. Or it could be a recent murder that has yet to be disclosed in this case of someone in the Shuscum Old Place estate. So we don't know, but that's the plot that has unfolded thus far. And by the way, one thing that they kind of glossed over in this whole case was the dog that is owned by Lady Felder. The dog got sold when the lady and Sir Robert, her brother, had a little falling out over Lady Felder's maid who took a liking to Sir Robert. She didn't like that. And so... They had that whole tift between the two of them. He sold her dog after it was caught snooping around an old well house. Maybe that has more relevance to the case? I don't know. Maybe this sister is a lot healthier than she's putting off. 
and she's the real culprit and connector in all of this. And she's slowly burning the body of the maid who has caused her so much grief. There's a lot to, there's a lot to consider here. Sherlock and Watson are going to visit the location where this Cocker Spaniel was sold. The Green Dragon, an inn. But that will be saved for next week. So until then, thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Reading Cadence. I'm your host, the displaced Wisconsinite, Phil Olson. For now, as they say in showbiz, that's all he wrote.